Good morning, Elevation, and Happy New Year. There is just something about the way that a simple flip of the calendar holds out the promise for something new. And I don't think that this has ever been more true than it is as we begin 2021. Now, I'm sure that there are all kinds of great memes out there about how much we are looking forward to putting 2020 behind us. But I found this one that I thought was really great. Y'all remember when we were like, Happy New Year! And there's this like, people celebrating 2020 is on its way. And we thought there was so much hope and so much potential. And the name even sounded cool, 2020 and all the rest of it. We had no idea what the year was gonna bring us. Well, after all that we've been through, I thought that it would be a good idea for us to start off the year with some good news. In fact, with a series about just how good the good news that we call the gospel actually is. So I've given the series at the title, The Very Good Gospel, which is completely and totally ripped off from a book by Lisa Sharon Harper called The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right. And we're gonna talk about how the gospel is good news for women and men, good news for racial justice, good news for liberals and conservatives, and good news for millennials and boomers. We're gonna talk about all those different things this month. But this morning, we're gonna start off by taking a look at what it means to talk about the gospel being good news for creation. Now, before we go any further, the word gospel is really only a word that you hear in church circles. So what does this mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which essentially means good message or good news. So there are all kinds of ways that we can receive good news. If you're a student and you apply for college or university, when you get that acceptance saying that we, they would like to have you at their school, that's good news. Uh, if you've been struggling with some health issues and you uh, get a call from the doctor and they let you know that the test pack came back clear, well, that is good news. All of us received some great news, um, whether it was a month or two ago when the news of the vaccine for COVID-19 came out. It was like good news. And so we, we know what it's like to receive good news. But what is the good news with respect to Christianity? What are we talking about? R.C. Sproul is a reformed theologian. He says that on the lips of Jesus, the gospel was about the dramatic moment in history when through the long awaited Messiah, the kingdom of God had broken through in time and space. The good news was the good news of the kingdom. Now that's a great summary of the good news that Jesus came to announce. But something at the end of that quote struck me. He said that the good news was the good news of the kingdom. So that kind of suggests that the good news became something different. Well, what did it become if that was no longer the good news? Probably something like the words of Paul in Colossians chapter one. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, that's something very different than talking about the gospel as the breaking in of the kingdom of God, right? This good news is the good news that we were kind of separated from God and because of Christ, we are now brought back into or reconciled in our relationship with God. But is it actually something that's different from the inbreaking of the kingdom of God? 
So Lisha Shara Harper, in her book, she talks about the fact about this word shalom and how this word shalom appears 550 times in the Bible. If I were to ask you to define the word shalom, again, it's a word that we don't use a whole lot, you would probably guess that it's something like peace, and you'd be right. It is something like peace, but it's more than that. It is also well-being, wholeness, abundance, the perfection of God's creation. Everything is as it was always intended to be. Walter Brueggemann writes, the vision of wholeness, which is the supreme will of the biblical God, is the outgrowth of a covenant of shalom, in which persons are bound not only to God, but to one another in a caring, sharing, rejoicing community with none to make them afraid. Now, this is where the gospel that Jesus preached and the gospel that we preach about Jesus come together. The good news is one and the same thing. It is good news for us and our reconciliation with God, but it's also good news with respect to our reconciliation to one another and, as we'll discuss this morning, to all of creation. And so the gospel is not only good news for us, me and you, but it's good news for all of creation. Now, when I was a kid, one of the first kind of memories that I have thinking about like the environment uh, was that I learned, I remember learning that trees produce oxygen and in the simplified version of this anyway. And I also remember hearing around the same time, and maybe it was the same conversation, that about this thing called deforestation, that people were chopping down the trees. And in my little childhood mind, I remember thinking, well, wait a second, if trees produce oxygen, which I need to stay alive, and if there are these people out there chopping trees down all over the place, what if they eventually chop down so many trees that there just isn't enough oxygen anymore. Like, what am I gonna do then? How am I going to breathe? And I can remember, like, as a child, like, thinking, like, are there enough trees in my neighborhood? Like, what if someone comes and chops these down? Should we maybe move somewhere where there are more trees? Now, in truth, half of the world's rainforests have been destroyed in the last century. Now, just try to think about that. Now, the danger of that is not, of course, that the Earth is gonna run out of oxygen. The danger is more with respect to the effect it has on biodiversity. Um, biologists tell us that 12,000 years ago, the American plains uh, had wildlife that is richer than that of Africa today. Now try to think about that, the kind of amazing creatures and amazing beings that are, are in Africa, and then try to think about that being in North America. So there's been significant changes already to our world in many ways. I mean, the environmental problem, it is multifaceted. We're talking about extinction, uh, the threat of extinction, pollution, urbanization, ozone depletion, deforestation, global warming, all of these things and more, I'm sure. E.O. Wilson writes, climate change alone, if left unabated, could be the primary cause of extinction of a quarter of the species of plants and animals on land by mid-century. Now think about that. A quarter, 25% of all plants and animals on land extinct by mid-century. And mid-century is actually not that long from now. That is a devastating consequence of not taking care of our world. And so E.O. Wilson writes this book called The Creation, which I'll explain more in a little moment. But he talks about how science and religion are the two most powerful forces of society. Together, they can save creation. <clears throat> However, the environment receives relatively little time, if you will, or attention in Christian circles. Why is this? Do you not know, asked the prophet Isaiah, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
So in this book, The Creation, E.O. Wilson, who is a world-renowned biologist, uh, writes about, uh, he kind of writes this as if he's writing a letter to a pastor. And I'll just uh, kind of start off with his little imagined conversation. He writes, I am puzzled at so many religious leaders who spiritually represent a large majority of people around the world have hesitated to make protection of the creation an important part of their magisterium. Now he goes on for the next page to, to try to guess at some of the reasons for that. Well, if you're emphasizing this or you're emphasizing that, or if your understanding of the future is like this, then maybe you just think, oh, it none of these things matter. But then again, he, he kind of writes to this imaginary pastor friend of his, for those who believe this form of Christianity, the fate of 10 million other life forms indeed does not matter. This and other similar doctrines are not gospels of hope and compassion. They are gospels of cruelty and despair. They were not born of the heart of Christianity. Pastor, tell me I am wrong. When I first read this book, I was like blown away by the challenge of someone who doesn't even believe in God, but is saying, listen, if you believe in God, how can you not do everything you can to take care of this world that you believe that he has created? Kind of stalked me in my, in, in my steps, and I think that it should do the same thing for us. There is very little um, uh, overt commentary about what we would call kind of environmentalism in our day, um, but there are hints. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8, we read the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now again, Paul couldn't have had an understanding of the kinds of things that we understand about the natural world, but he understood that there was something about creation that was longing for renewal. He goes on to express his hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The good news simply has to be good news for all of creation. Now, those of us who live in Waterloo Region have a little bit of a reason to pat ourselves on the back because this municipality was the birthplace of the Blue Box Recycling Program. Yeah, it's pretty exciting uh, to be a part of that. Um, so many of you will remember, I mean, depending on your age, I guess, when this program started. And I actually remember maybe a decade ago, I was preaching on creation in the context of our church and someone from our congregation came up to me the following week and they were just like, that was such an interesting sermon. I have never recycled anything in my life, but when I finished listening to you, I thought, I think I'm gonna start recycling. And I was just like, well, there you go. That's an interesting kind of effect. And I'm glad to hear that someone is kind of putting some of this stuff into action. But for most of us, recycling is just a normal part of our daily lives. Now in recent years, we have started composting. And this is, again, something that has become more of a habit for many of us. Uh, recently, I've been noticing, just on advertisements on TV, uh, more restaurants are, are advertising things about like sustainable farming, the importance of sustainable farming and stuff. And, and it's interesting how these, these things, these environmental trends, if you will, make their way into our lives. Environmental causes will come and go. So the question for us is when the fads fade, and as fear-driven responses might lose their grip, what inspiration do we have to continue to care about creation? An American scholar named Lynn White writes, what people do about their ecology depends on what they think about themselves in relation to the things around them. Human ecology is deeply conditioned by beliefs about our nature and our destiny, that is, by religion. So the things that we believe will impact the way that we treat the world around us. Now consider this morning's reading from Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. A couple of months ago, I went for a walk uh, with a member of our congregation, Doug Martin, and he was telling me about how he is writing a creation catechism for his grandkids. So he's telling me how basically he'll go on these walks out in the woods and out in nature with his grandkids, and he wants to, to teach them to appreciate the natural world, but he also wants to kind of draw some connection uh, between their faith and the natural world. And so he's doing, writing together a catechism, which is another religious word, um, which essentially means a, a kind of a training or an instruction, like a basic introductory teachings. And so he's written a number of questions, and I'll, I'll share a few of them with you here this morning. Um, so he asked the first question, who made the world and all that we see today? And so they'll look around and the answer is God made the world and everything in it. The second question he asks, how did God make the world? He made it out of nothing, just by speaking. And so again, tying together the, the natural world that we can experience with our senses and our understanding of who God has revealed himself to be. You see, a Christian view of nature begins with God creating everything out of nothing. Now, how that happened? Well, that's another conversation altogether, and we'll wait, wait till a little later this year to dive into that conversation. But many Christians don't consider our relation to nature as having any kind of a moral basis altogether. So we can ask a question. What does it mean to love someone, but not their creation? What does it mean to love someone, but not the thing that they've created? Uh, I remember when I was, uh, Melissa and I were parenting young children, and, and many of you who are parents of young children will remember that, or don't have to remember it, you're living it right now, uh, when your child will bring you a piece of art. And so they'll bring you this piece of art of drawing, maybe they did at school, or maybe they've done at home, and they'll be like, mom or dad, like, look at this amazing piece of art I did. And you love this drawing they've done. Now, I've just given some examples. The, the examples here are not uh, from my children. I, I could have shared those, but I thought maybe that's a little too personal. Um, but they bring this picture to you, and you love it, and you think it's amazing, and it's brilliant, even if it's not. But you love it because you love its creator. Francis Schaeffer, in his popular book from decades ago, Pollution and the Death of Man, writes, if I love the lover, I love what the lover has made. It's just the way it is. If we love God, then we love what God has made. But humans have a long, sordid history of not doing this exact thing. In the medieval town of Ypres, Belgium, residents would participate in an annual ceremony where they would go up to the high bell tower in the town square and they would throw live cats to their death in the square below. They would literally do this. This has happened for hundreds of years. An annual tradition, it's time to throw cats from the bell tower and they'd throw them down and the cats would die. It was like this terrible thing. Fortunately for all of humanity, this stopped about 200 years ago. But it's an example of how somehow humans have disconnected themselves from the natural world. As one author says, man has exploited created things as though they were nothing in themselves and as though he has an autonomous right to do so. And where does this right come from? Well, unfortunately, in some way, it might come from the Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28, this is what we read. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Notice that word subdue from the Hebrew kabash, which means quite graphically, bring into bondage. So bring the world, the earth into bondage. It's very strong language. And so Christianity has taught that humans have dominion over nature and rightly so. But humans have often abused this privilege and have treated nature in a destructive way. I wanna show you an image, uh, put it up on the screen here for you. And when you see this, maybe this image kind of summarizes this idea of like humans taking nature into bondage, uh, this kind of dominion. We have this group of men kind of standing around this giraffe, which has been kind of blindfolded and muzzled and it's tied together with ropes. And, and an image like this, you know, can say like, yeah, that's just everything that's wrong with humanity. But actually this is, uh, picture is out of context and I'll tell you a little bit of the story of where it comes from. So actually this uh, giraffe, lives on the east coast, uh, off the coast of Kenya in East Africa. And uh, the part, uh, the place that it was living was kind of like a marshland, but then the, the waters in the area started rising to the point that the place where it was actually living was totally secluded and it became an island. So it was separated from the mainland. And so these people are actually taking care of this giraffe. And as the next image shows, they kind of moved this giraffe onto a raft. They had to blindfold it because otherwise it would have been scared and wouldn't have followed them. And so they brought it onto this raft and transported it over to the mainland to keep it safe. And so I thought, wow, that's, this is beautiful because it's this picture of, yes, I, humans using, bringing nature into, into bondage, literally, um, but actually for its good. And I think that's a great picture for us to carry with us, that if we are gonna have dominion in this world of ours, then it's gotta be for the good of the world that we're a part of. One of Doug's questions in that catechism said, who does God intend to care for the world? And the answer is people like me and you who are made in his image. Again, from Lisa Sharon Harper, if humanity is created in God's likeness, then the way we exercise dominion should reflect God's kind of dominion. It should maintain the overwhelming well-being of all. To exercise dominion that seeks one's own well-being first is to break from the likeness of God. Those are some strong words, and I want those to echo in our minds and hearts here today. At the very end of the first chapter of our Bible, we read that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. How do we respond to God when we see his creation? Doug asks. How else do we respond when we see his creation? And the answers to this are multiple. We respond by thanking him. We respond by praising him. We respond by trusting him. We respond by caring for his creation, including each other. Now this is gonna require sacrifice. It'll require sacrifice of our time, our money, our attention. And when we gather in our neighbors groups on the end of uh, the service this morning, we'll have an opportunity to talk about some of the things that we can do to care for the world that we are part of. Stanley Grenz writes that we are called to be a people who embody in our life together and in our relationships to all humans and even to all creation, the great narrative of the biblical God. It's a beautiful, Im beautiful image that everything about our lives tells the story of the God who created us and the world that we inhabit. 
a heightened appreciation of nature and a commitment to care for it as best we can should be a byproduct of our Christian faith. This is the only acceptable response when the problem of a messed up world is coupled with belief in God as the creator of heaven and earth. Again from Harper, shalom is the stuff of the kingdom. It's what the kingdom of God looks like in context. It's what citizenship in the kingdom of God requires and what the kingdom of God promises to those who choose God and God's ways to peace. One of Doug's final questions in his little catechism is where do we see God even more than in his creation? And the answer is we see God most of all in Jesus, his son, who is also God the creator and our savior. We don't keep our eyes only on what's in front of us, but we lift our eyes up and we look to the one who created the world that we live in. Jesus said himself, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We have an opportunity to share good news about the inbreaking of the kingdom, about care for the world that we're in, and about the reconciliation in all things. And so the good news is that we can be reconciled to God because of Christ, that we can be reconciled to one another, which we'll spend a lot of time talking about this month, and that we can be reconciled and should be reconciled to the created world that we are a part of. May we recognize God as creator and ourselves as caretakers of his creation, looking forward to that day when all of creation and us along with it will be redeemed. I'm gonna close my message here with a word of prayer. And on the other side of that, I'll invite you to stick around for some discussion about this morning's theme. If you haven't done that before, you're not regularly part of a neighbor's group, there'll be a link in the comment section that you can hop on. We'd love for to have you join us. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful for life. We're grateful for life. And at this beginning of a new year, we are reminded of the, the constant renewal of life, a new renewal of opportunity, renewal of hope. And God, we are grateful this morning for the created world that we inhabit. We are just small little pieces of this giant puzzle that you've put together by the work of your hand. And God, we ask that you would inspire us as individuals and as a community of faith to reflect our love for you out into the world around us, to the people and to the natural world around us. Inspire with us with a vision for the inbreaking of your kingdom and the reconciliation of all things in Christ. Amen. Well, it's been good to reconnect you, with you again here at the beginning of a new year. Wish you a happy new year, and hopefully you'll be able to join in these neighbors groups. Some good discussion, and enjoy the rest of the week. Peace.